Good morning, friends. It'd be good to keep your Bible open uh, as we have a look at this passage. Micah is probably one of the less familiar books to us, uh, but it's great to see what God has to say to his people, uh, Judah, then, and then what does that mean for us today? So let me uh, pray for our time together. Uh, Dear Lord, I I pray as we listen to your word this morning uh, through the prophet Micah uh, that you will speak to us. I pray that my words will be faithful to your words and that through your spirit you will help us to hear the things we need to hear. Amen. There's a great quote uh, that I've used previously but I love and it felt uh, particularly apt for our passage today and it says, The heart desires, the mind justifies, and the will concedes. Now, for most of our culture, we feel that the heart is generally good. We are predisposed to being good to others, and society is getting better. I think, though, as we look around, whether we're looking in our personal lives or you look on social media and the trawling that goes on there... Uh, you, you start to realise actually that we, we don't look quite as good as we claim. Uh, in fact, there's a great quote um, by the prophet Jeremiah, another Old Testament bloke, who says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I think that sounds probably more true, doesn't it? You know, we think about our own uh, selfish desires, our own Uh, thoughts and sometimes our own aspirations, Uh, often we can do good, but often we're driven by selfishness. And when you combine a corrupt heart with power, then you've got a real problem because very quickly it becomes less about what is right and good and it becomes all about what is right and good for me. And power comes in lots of different forms, doesn't it? There's physical power, uh, there's economic and financial power, there's political power, uh, there's the power of persuasion. And there's no doubt that power can be used for good. I've watched a few Marvel movies. It is possible. But equally, power can be used for evil. Uh, And we will see that in the passage that we're looking at today. So in the passage uh, that we're looking at, Micah, he's talking to Old Testament Israel. So Israel's been split in two. The south's called Judah, the north is called Israel. Sometimes the whole lot's still called Israel. And they've been charged with idolatry, which simply means they've turned their back on God and they've started to to worship the created things rather than the creator. So whether that's another God or or possessions or experiences or respect, it's all about replacing God and removing God from his rightful place in our lives. And the passage last week used the language of of a court case and God coming as a hostile witness against his own people. In the passage that we read today, it uses the language of planning and takes us to the natural outworking of idolatry. So if, I do, if my idol is money, then I love money, I want more money, I justify why I deserve more money, and then I plan how to get it, even if it's at the expense 
of others. But God has plans of his own. So our passage begins with lying awake in bed. Micah 2, 1, Woe to those who plan iniquity, which just means sin, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light they carry it out because it's in their power to do it. So they're lying in bed thinking to themselves, how do I get what I want today? So this isn't about hard work and honest gain. Uh, This is about planned, premeditated sin. How do I get what I want, whatever it takes to get it? And they plan and plot because it's in their power to do it. So Micah 2.2, they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. And again, a little bit later in the chapter, verse 8, you strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. If you go back to verse 2, we don't really use the language of coveting very often uh, these days. It's a bit of an old word. Uh, but it was significant enough uh, in the Old Testament to make you know, the top ten commandments. So uh, God said, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting, if it's possible, is even worse than greed. Because greed is all about an excessive and selfish desire for more. I need more cake. But coveting is an excessive and selfish desire, not just for more, but for your. So I I don't need more cake. I need your cake. It's about taking from someone else for yourself. So people covet and then they use their power to take it. And in this particular passage, Micah is talking about people who look to take people's property and their homes. And even inheritance was about property. So God instituted this command. It was called the Jubilee Year. And every 50 years, whatever property had been bought and sold, it got returned to the original owner. And so buying and selling was more of a lease arrangement than something permanent. And the idea was that no matter how desperate life had become, no matter how much you had sold things to get by in the years past, that there was this moment of equality where the poor would have an opportunity to, to you know, get back on their feet and to get ahead. But for the rich, they purchase land and then they scheme and plan for how they're going to keep that land. I think perhaps a a modern uh, equivalent at the moment are our financial planners uh, who are making an awful lot of uh, news in the headlines at the moment for all the the wrong reasons. Uh, But for 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 those financial planners, the, the whole objective was to make more money, not for their client, but for themselves. And so they ended up doing these dodgy plans that benefited them more than anyone else and it was all about you know improving their 
prestige within their work environment, you know, improving their personal wealth. And it came at the expense, quite literally for some, of their homes and the inheritance they had hoped to give their children. And it's easy to kind of point the finger at financial planners, particularly if you're not one. Uh, but, you know, we could apply the same thing, couldn't we, to, to a, a cafe owner, perhaps, uh, who uh, knows that he employs, you know, mostly uh, young, unskilled, slightly desperate labour who have overextended on their mobile phone plan. And so, because uh, he knows their situation, he knows that he can underpay them uh, and pay it off the books in cash, no one will ever see or notice. And he can even perhaps justify to himself why he is morally right to do so. Because, you know, the government, they've made it just impossible to make a profit these days in small business. And if his business goes under, well, then the workers won't get any work at all. And so by the time he's finished, not only is it good to exploit your workers, it's morally right to exploit your workers. We can be so good at justifying ourselves, so good at making it all about us. We claim we're doing good, but it's really about doing good for us because we always deserve more. And God sees what people do, God sees what we do, and God has plans to judge his people. So Micah 2, 3, Therefore the Lord says, I'm planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. And as you read uh, the next couple of verses in Micah, you'll see that, that these people who have exploited those who are less able to look after themselves, that they will be humiliated. The property they have will be taken away. In fact, not only will it be taken away, it will be given to traders. So foreign nations will come in, drive them out of the land, and God will give their property to them. And there was this thing uh, when Israel first got the land that they would uh, cast lots for, for who got what. So it was about equality. Everyone got a chance to get the best land. But in the future, there'll be no one left in the land to cast lots. There'll be no one left to receive God's blessing because they'll all be taken away. So verse 10, get up, go away, for this is not your resting place because it has been defiled. It's ruined beyond all remedy. God built rest into his created order. Right from the beginning, he rested on the seventh day. And we look forward to uh, and Israel were looking forward to rest in the land. And rest isn't just about relaxing and putting your feet up and having a less intense day and watching the footy. Rest was all about shalom, which means peace and prosperity and harmony and everything being right in the world. Right with God, right with other people, right with creation. And there were moments in Israel's history where they experienced rest. There were moments in the, in the kingships of David and Solomon where they experienced rest. But every time it is fleeting. 
And so this is how uh, Moses puts it in Deuteronomy. But you'll cross the Jordan and settle into the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And he will give you rest from all your enemies around you so that you will live in safety. That was the promise. And now that rest will be taken from this generation. I think at this stage, you're probably feeling that, that Mike has a, a bit of a negative Nancy. You know, you've you come to church this morning, you're hoping for a bit of encouragement, you know, something, a bit of inspiration, a bit of you know, uplifting. And so far, all we've got is sort of doom and gloom. You know, we want relief from our problems, not more problems. And that was the same for Judah. And fortunately, there, there was the re- religious establishment who were there. So, so Micah was a bit of a fringe guy. But that's okay. The, the religious establishment are there and they're saying it's okay. You know, don't panic. You know, Micah's kind of like the crazy guy who stands on the corner with the, you know, with the, the milk crate and, and the slightly dodgy PA system and you know, yelling and screaming something about the Bible and every now and again you hear Jesus or hell or Bible or something you know, bad. And as you walk past, because I used to work in the CBD, you sort of walk past and everyone sort of keeps their head down you know, just in case they get eye contact and gets personal. Uh, you know, and so yeah, everyone's, the, the relig- religious establishment are going, don't worry, it's okay, everything's going to be fine. God won't do this. So in verses 6 and 7, do not prophesy, the prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Your descendants of Jacob, shouldn't it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does does he do such things? And of course, the unspoken answer is supposed to be no. Of course not. God isn't like that. God's about love. Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. God's word is good news, not bad news. Everything will be fine. But the best lie is one that's woven together with the truth. So God has chosen Israel as his people. God is abounding in love. God is compassionate. God desires to bless and to save. God's word is good and God is slow to anger. But God's word is good to those who listen and respond. God is slow to anger, but he still gets angry. And when we choose to sin, we choose to stand against God and against his wisdom and against his holiness. We say, God, you do not know what you are talking about. It's my life and I know what is best for me. And the religious establishment are all there affirming the people. Don't worry, everything is well in the world. I think my favourite verse in Micah so far is verse 11. It's probably not the most profound, but that's all right. If a liar and deceiver comes to you and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. He's talking to Aussies, really. You know, everything is well in the world. God doesn't judge. God wants to bless and have another beer. But this isn't just a Judah problem or an Israel problem. This is a modern 
church problem. That we love to hear what our itching ears want to hear. So 2 Timothy 4 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It's sad, but it's not too surprising, is it, that our our culture is disconnecting from our Christian heritage. Uh, We're not too surprised by that. Uh, But even sadder still is that people who profess to be leaders of Christians are now turning their back on their Christian heritage and starting to redefine God more along the lines of our culture than how he's presented himself to us in history and through his word. So for some, they'll stand up and say, Jesus is a great example of personal sacrifice and service. Yeah, a passionate crusader for the poor and the oppressed. And all of that is true. But it's not enough. It's a long way from Jesus as the Son of God who came to die on the cross to pay the price for sin. For others, they'll reject what the Bible has to say about how we should live in obedience to Christ. And so they've aligned their values and ethics more along the lines of our culture and our dominant culture than what the Bible has to say. And then they try to get God to conform into that culture, into something that's a little more palatable and acceptable and reasonable for our culture. Others, again, will reduce faith down to feel-good statements. God wants you to live your best life now, a life of comfort and success and blessing. But at the same time, will fail to challenge, thing on, you know, challenge us on our sin or our need to repent, or what it means to take up your cross and suffer for Christ. In Christ, we are blessed, absolutely. First and foremost, we are blessed because he saves us from the consequences of our sin. But he does not promise the easy life. Life will continue to be tough for everyone, and it'll continue to be tough for Christians. Christians are just as likely to get sick as anyone else. Christians are just as likely to get retrenched from their work as anyone else. Christians are just as likely to get hit by a bus as anyone else. That doesn't change. The world we live in does not change simply because we are Christian. But what God does promise is to place our feet on firm ground. That for everything that will happen in this life, that we can be confident that he is sovereign and that our future is secure. We are safe and we are saved. And that means there is hope. And thankfully, even for Judah, even with this bleak message that Micah is saying to Judah, there is hope. So Micah 2.12, this is the first sort of happy word we've got. In the book of Micah, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. Judah will be judged. Uh, A little while from when this is written, the Babylonians will come and take them into exile. But God will be faithful to his promise. God will continue his promise through a small remnant 
of people. And God continues to be faithful to that promise. So 700 years later, when Paul is writing, this is what he says about the remnant. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed down the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. For most of us, if we're not from a Jewish heritage, then we are not the remnant. But we are descendants of God's promise to Abraham. And so in this next section, when we read about sheep and shepherds, what is true for Judah continues to be true for us. So I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pastures. The the place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They'll break through the gates and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. It's a great image, isn't it? It's one of security and protection. Uh, You know, they go out into an abundant pasture and the king, the Lord, leads the way. And we see that fulfilled in Jesus. So these original words are written 700 years before Jesus. And then Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my shepherd and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah, it's a picture of that promised rest that we read about in Deuteronomy. Where God's people living with God. And as they put their trust in Jesus, you see there's an abundance and there's a thriving and there's shalom. And it's a peace we experience partly now, but it's an experience we will have fully as we look towards eternity. So what do we need to hear out of the passage today? I think, two, I think a couple of things, perhaps three things. Uh, firstly, we, we need to hear that power corrupts and our natural instinct is to covet and for that coveting to lead to taking. We are naturally selfish people. I think when we recognise that, then we can start to do something about it. As Christians, we can choose to make different choices. As Christians, we pray to God that by his spirit, he will convict our heart and give us the courage to flee temptation when it comes. I think secondly, we need to recognise that God really does judge sin. You know, we look around the world and go, well, God hasn't really done too much judging so far. And so maybe he really won't do any judging in the future. But we need to look and listen to how God treated his people Israel in the past and recognise that God does judge. We don't like the idea of judgment. We like justice. We don't like judgment, but the two go hand in hand. That God hates sin and God will judge sin. And that includes our sin. But thirdly, and hopefully this is the thing that stands out more than anything else, that yes, we are selfish and sinful. Yes, God judges, but there is also hope. There is the offer that as we repent, God wants to forgive us. He is waiting there begging to forgive us. 
But we do have to respond. That's what repentance is. Repentance is coming back and saying sorry and choosing to live differently. God created us. He loves us. He wants us back. And the offer is there. The offer is always there. And what we look forward to is freedom from sin and rest. They'll break through the gates and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. It's a great image. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you for your word, uh, even when your word is difficult and confronting. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, that by your spirit you help us to flee uh, our natural, uh, selfish and sinful uh, inclinations. Uh, Help us uh, to love others. Uh, rather than desiring just to act for our good. Uh, Lord, most of all, though, help us to recognise that uh, you love us, that you created us, and that you want us to be in relationship with you, and that that's possible as we come and say sorry and repent and turn back. So, Lord, I pray that through your Spirit you'll help us to hear what we needed to hear today. Amen.